Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, John 3.16, with a message titled, That Whoever Believes in Him. So let's turn in our Bibles to John 3.16 as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Belief is a strange word indeed. It's because if you think about it, we use it in so many different ways. You know, someone says, I believe I'll have another cup of coffee, which is to say, I've decided to have another cup of coffee. You know, belief can mean to decide. But someone might say, I believe in Chevys or Fords or Hondas or BMWs. I'm not trying to advertise for any car company here. But in that case, they mean they're committed to that make of vehicle. And the reason for that commitment might be varied. Perhaps they've read reliability reports or crash test scores, or perhaps, you know, they just like the look of a vehicle and who drives them. And interestingly enough, a person might believe in a certain brand of automobile and not actually have one. That is to say, a person might be intellectually committed to something, but still not be willing or able to pay the price for it. Belief. You know, it can mean to believe that something's true. Like, I believe in evolution, says one person, and the other says, I don't. You know, one has belief, the other doesn't. And we might argue that kind of belief doesn't require commitment, but it does affect the way one views life and what one believes about a creator. It affects worldview. And that brings me to another use of the word belief. People will often say, I believe in God. Well, I certainly don't discourage that. Indeed, as a Christian, I encourage that. The evidence for a creator is everywhere. Indeed, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That is, at the very least, belief or faith does require an intellectual belief. And it is for those reasons that I delight in books like, you know, Return of the God Hypothesis by Stephen Meyer. You know, Meyer is a scientist and a Christian, and he discusses three scientific discoveries that reveal mind or intelligence behind the universe. And that kind of a book, especially in our atheistic culture, does urge unbelievers to read and to think. But belief in God is not enough. James says so. A very interesting passage, and it's found in James 2 verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. James is saying that being a theist is not enough. It's a start, but it's only a start. And that brings me to consider the words of John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. That is, if the difference between perishing and having eternal life is a matter of belief, and that's surely what John 3.16 teaches— then we do well to be as precise as we can as to what is meant by believing. And I say this is an issue because this matter, the minds of many, is confusing. How can I know that I have believed in the way that believing in Jesus is intended? And we've all heard of those who say they believe in Jesus but live immoral lives. So have they believed? And if the answer to that is no, then we all need some help. What does it mean to believe in Jesus so that we receive eternal life? And I think that we can say believing, at least the way the Bible defines it, consists of four elements. Let me list them at first, then we'll go over them in more detail. The first element is knowledge. We've got to know something. Now, the second element is approval. We must come to believe that it is good. 
The third element is surrender. That is, in order to believe, we must bend the knee and acknowledge, not my will, but yours be done. And then finally, the fourth element is trust. Now, before we go over each of these four elements that make up the sum total of what it means to believe, let me say that, you know, these four elements aren't necessarily steps, you know, one leading to the next. It's possible that a person moves from one element to the next in some kind of a sequence, but that's not always the case. You know, a person often suddenly becomes aware that they believe. And I love to tell this story. It was told to me by someone I was very close to years ago. You know, as a young man, I'm going to call him Jim. Jim was a university student. He had no Christian background, but someone, I think it was a a classmate, had encouraged him to read the book of Romans, and he did. And he found the book intellectually fascinating, and so he read it again. Then he began to make an outline of the argument, and he would sit at the university pub and he'd make notes. A friend came to him one day and was surprised to see him studying from the Bible. And he said, Jim, you don't believe that, do you? And he was asking him, do you have belief? And Jim, who told me the story later, simply said, you know, I just realized it when I was talking to him. I do. And might I add that Jim had come to embrace all four elements of believing and that he did at the mere question that was asked to him, do you believe? So let's go over the four elements of believing. The first, intellectual knowledge. There must be some things that we know. You know, Paul speaks of that in Romans 10, verse 14. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So we can make a basic list of what it is that people need to know. And most obviously, well, they need to know that there is one God who is the creator of all things. I mean, you can't believe in Jesus and, let's say, be a a polytheist or an animist. I mean, to believe in Jesus and maintain your belief in many gods or goddesses is really not to believe in Jesus at all. That's why some people are confused. I mean, they gladly place their belief in Jesus alongside of their belief in other contemporary belief systems. And so belief for them is simply an affirmation that they respect Jesus, even though I suppose they know very little about him. One has to be a monotheist to believe in Jesus, but one also has to believe more. One must also believe that God created us. One must believe that we fell into sin. Indeed, you must be convinced of your inherent sinfulness and your predisposition to sin against your Creator. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You you must believe that He died for your sins. You must believe that He rose from the dead. I mean, all these are a part of belief. I mean, take this away, and there's no genuine belief at all. And you might wonder why I make so much of this, and I do so, because of the prevalence of syncretism in the church. Syncretism is the attempt to sync or to bring together various disparate thoughts. That is, you can be a Buddhist and a follower of Christ, say some. I mean, Buddhism teaches that there is no God to save us, that we must save ourselves. But the Christian faith teaches that we can save ourselves, that we need a Savior. And Jesus is the very Savior that we need. But in the minds of some, I mean, you might think you can save yourself, and that Jesus provided some wonderful examples and teachings that will help you to do just that. But of course, in the end, it just won't do. For even while that kind of a syncretist might well say they believe in Jesus, they actually don't. 
See, the Jesus they believe in is not the historical Jesus, you know, the real one that actually existed. Instead, it's it's the Jesus of a given philosophy or worldview. That is, Jesus is remade to make him appear to be something he never was. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4, Paul has this complaint about some in the Corinthian church. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, there are still some who would readily put up with a Jesus that never existed, but it's not believing. And so the first element of believing has to include intellectual knowledge. One must believe truth. The second element of believing is approval of that truth. Now, that might seem rather straightforward. I mean, after all, one might intellectually believe, but we would never say that one believes unless you approve of what you believe. And if there are examples in the Bible of people who do just that. One example is in Acts 26, 26 to 28. And in that passage, Paul is defending himself at a trial, and he appears before King Agrippa. Listen to the dialogue. Paul speaks first. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? That is, yes, I believe, but I'm not persuaded. And on the basis of that, to be a Christian. See, I have a friend who's who's like that. You know, for about a decade, you know, we talked about the faith and he believed it all. And yet the cost of becoming a believer was just too high. He articulated that cost for me and I prayed for him. I mean, the good news is that eventually he did come to genuine faith. Well, John 3:16, that if you believe in him, the context of that is that a rabbi named Nicodemus came to Jesus and announced that he believed. He said, speaking to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Now, of course, there may have been many things about Jesus that he would have had trouble with, but at the same time, he does believe in a sense. But still, there's something missing. So we've talked about two essential elements of faith. The first is intellectual knowledge. The second is approval. But still, more is required. Every day, we're so grateful and humbled at how God is blessing this ministry and broadening its reach. We want to share that Back of the Bible Canada has recently eclipsed 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. Thank you so much to everyone who has supported and tuned in. If you've never visited the YouTube channel before, be sure to check it out at Back to the Bible Canada and consider leaving a comment while you're there. One listener recently wrote, I've been a daily listener to the broadcast for a number of years. I'm especially grateful for Dr. John's teaching that God has used to correct, to guide, and to encourage me in the faith. There are times when it seems like the message is designed exactly for me. For more information or to support Back to the Bible Canada with a financial gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Let's go to the third essential element of genuine belief. This is the element of surrender. It is to repeat the words that Jesus said while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
It is to say, not my will, but yours be done. Now, this element is akin to waving the white flag in battle. It is to say, I give up. You've conquered. I am defeated. You know, another word for that, repentance. Repentance does involve an intellectual component. One has to understand that one is a sinner and then recognize one's sin and one must turn from it. Let's consider some examples in Scripture. And the first one, well, that's in Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas have just arrived in the city of Lystra. And while Paul is preaching there, he heals a man who's been crippled from birth. And in consequence, the people of the city begin to shout that the gods have come down to them in human form and the city is in an uproar. And Paul responds, and listen to what he says, and here I'm reading Acts 14, verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Notice that in order to turn to the living God, these people were required to turn from the vanity of their idolatry. That is, Paul did not think it was possible to turn to God unless they turned from the idols. And that's what's meant by belief. You don't truly believe until you've turned from the things that displease God. Let's look at one more example, and this one is found in Acts 26. And in this example, Paul is retelling his own conversion story. But a part of his conversion story consists in his calling. That is, Paul is to preach the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles, and then Paul recounts what Jesus told him to preach. And here I'm reading Acts 26, verses 17 and 18, and I'm picking up halfway through the sentence. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Notice, if you will, the last line. Those who hear the message that Paul is preaching to them will take their place among those who are sanctified or made holy, and this has happened by faith. In other words, faith, believing in Jesus, sums up the entire message of Paul. Notice then what's the content of Paul's message. He is to call people to turn from darkness to light. You'd almost hear the preacher there. He's announcing the good news. Turn from darkness in which you're living. Turn to the light of God. And then turn from the power of Satan. Stop following him. Turn to God. You'll receive forgiveness of sin. See, that kind of language, that's called repentance. And repentance means we're sorry for our sins, but it also means that we renounce those sins And we also utterly reject our sinful ways. We view those sins in which we once lived as a load of trash. We just can't throw them away fast enough. But repentance also means that we forsake our sins. We turn in obedience to Christ. That's why I call this element of belief surrender. We actually say to Jesus, I'm raising the white flag. I no longer wish to call the shots in my life. Not my will, but yours be done. Now, before we move to the last essential element of belief, let me make sure that we don't misunderstand. I mean, I can almost hear the critic already. Are you saying that we need to be perfect or sinless in order to come to Christ? And to that, I would reply that nothing I've just said should give that impression. I might renounce something that I still struggle with, but I do renounce it. Let's say a man is a bully. He intimidates, he's large, he's imposing, he uses his fists with ease. Everyone's frightened of him. 
And one day, this very man is confronted by Jesus and his saving news, and he comes to believe. And as a part of belief, he raises the white flag of surrender and renounces all his sinful practices. He gives his life fully to Jesus. He admits that his pugilistic behavior is sinful, and he utterly repents. He says to Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. You know, it might be that this same man still struggles with anger in the future. He's got moments when his old sinful flesh reasserts itself. He's not perfect. He's anything but that. But he, because he has believed, will never again give in or simply go back to his old way of life. He'll fight the fight until the flesh has been defeated. Now, of course, the reason he does so, well, it's because he's been given a new heart and new nature. He has, according to John chapter 3, been born of the Spirit. He's now a new man, and that newness is seen in the fact that he's renounced that which is sinful. I think it's necessary to reemphasize this. To believe in Jesus is to surrender to Jesus. See, many churches, when they baptize a new believer, will ask that person, do you now renounce Satan and all his works? And whether they now renounce their sinful ways and acknowledge that Jesus is now their Lord. See, this act of repentance must never be forgotten. For people who have not repented but claim they believe in Jesus, well, they don't believe at all. 1 John 3, 8 and 9. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Well, I don't want to belabor the point, but I do need to insist we don't misunderstand. It's been popular by some to suggest that you can have Jesus as your Savior, but not as your Lord. But by now, that should be obvious. It's a lie. Unless you wave the white flag of surrender, you do not believe. Well, let's consider the fourth element of belief. And this is the element of trust. Of course, the first element of trust is that we trust that it is true when we hear that Christ died for our sins that our sins are now taken away by what Christ did for us on the cross. I mean, all faith, all trust begins right there. After all, who would possibly repent if in doing so they had no chance of forgiveness? And so saving faith is confident trust that the suffering and dying of our Savior is payment for our sins, that my sin was dealt with on his cross. And that's what John has in mind in John 1 verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, this receiving of Jesus is to welcome him and to trust him in all things. Let's go to John 5:24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. See, we proclaim that we know that we have been given eternal life because Jesus promised it. And we've come to trust him completely. And so even though everyone else condemns me, I am not eternally condemned, for Jesus has made promises to me, and I believe him. Here I need to add that both trust in Christ as well as repentance carry on throughout life. And so, for instance, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray regularly, forgive us our trespasses. And this constancy is also felt as we put our trust in Christ. We trust that he will never leave us, that heaven and earth will pass away, but his promises to us will never fail. We trust that he will cause all things to work together for good to those who love him. 
And if we should undergo great difficulty today, we trust that he's leading us into this difficulty and will eventually get us through it. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is, I, right now, continue to live by faith. It's now the way in which I conduct my life. I trust in Christ. Just like our repentance, our faith on this side of eternity is not perfect. At times, we will pray as the father prayed. You remember the father of the demon-possessed son? I do believe. Help my unbelief. See, we all know that there are, for the believer, times when we do struggle with dark thoughts, feelings of unbelief. But our confidence is not in the strength of our faith. Our confidence is in Christ. That is to say, the object of faith is not faith. It's Christ. Some time ago, you know, someone in the prosperity gospel asked me if, you know, if I believed in faith. And not at all, I said. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, his only son, my Savior and my Lord. My faith is weak, but he's strong. And so here's the confidence we have, that God is love and that the God who exists is in his essential nature love. We also know that God loved us in our sins, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We also know that God sent his one and only son into the world, and we know that anyone who believes has eternal life. Have you believed? Would you like to? You can't be saved from your sin by your own efforts. It comes only by believing in Christ. You'll be saved by believing. And if you've never believed, here's your invitation. Welcome Jesus today. Believe in him. Put your confidence in him. Thanks for your message, John. Now, this whole idea of faith, let me just ask you, why is it so important that we understand that it's not something we do rather than confidence in that it is something Christ has done? Help us understand that. Yeah, Ben, That's <laughs> thank you for pointing that out. I mean, because some people, I know, that almost unwittingly make faith into a work. And so they ask themselves, is my faith large enough? And so, you know, I've got to screw up my faith to a greater level. So it's something else they have to do for God. And all that's a grand deception. I mean, faith is simply resting in what God has done and looking at the works of God and the promises that God has made and then simply saying, yep, I believe every one of those. That's what faith is. It's belief in God, not belief in faith. Thanks, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow as we conclude our series, John 316, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. The command to make disciples is not just for church leaders or congregations, it's for every believer and every ministry effort in Jesus' name. Back to the Bible Canada is a disciple-making ministry through its teaching, its broadcasts, and publications. One of these publications includes our bi-monthly Truth in Life magazine. This year, we're excited to share that Truth in Life will have a unique discipleship focus. Each issue will highlight a different marker of discipleship. And thank you so much for your continued financial support. Your gifts allow resources like Truth and Life magazine and so many others to fulfill its mission of providing trustworthy Bible teaching. 
to subscribe and receive a free copy of the next issue mailed directly to your home, visit us at backtothebible.ca or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.